0: And I was younger and they wouldn't let me play cards with them. I was bad. <laughs> so when they wouldn't let me play, I kicked out two of her basement windows, stalked her flowers. Before I got home, I got in trouble once, twice, and when my parents got home, I got it three and four. Oh! Tuning in to the next Conversations with Brett. I really appreciate your support. If you can like and subscribe, that way you'll never miss an episode. Because you definitely don't want to miss this episode with Miss Keena Jackson. What's up, Keena? Not too much. How you doing? I'm good. Good. What you been up to? Just working and, you know, doing my community work and um, trying to travel when I can. Okay, that's it. So what community work are you doing? Because I know... We grew up together in Cincinnati, Kennedy Heights, and I know your parents were very involved. Yes. What are you doing now that they would look at you and be like, okay, we see you?
1: Yep. So I'm a board member with the HDDC, the okay. Historical District Development Corporation, which okay. is where my salon is, and that is the Martin Luther King Historical District okay. area. So I'm a board member and just trying to make sure people, we maintain the historical, you know, facts and that the stories keep getting told. And right. we keep, we're trying to make sure there's affordable housing in the area, which we all know is <laughs> going away in the old fourth war and not, not a whole bunch of affordable housing
0: there, but we're trying to make sure there's some there. Right. I tell people, I don't know how people, apartments, what they're paying for, apartments. I had a friend, she had a 2 bedroom, two-bath apartment. She was paying as much as what we're paying for this house. And I'm like, you're paying how much? For what? Yes. I don't see how people are doing it. It's not under two, I don't
1: think there's anything under 2,000 in that area, which is ridiculous. And That, that may be for one bedroom.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll be living <laughs> with you. I'll be living so with you. Trying to make sure that there's still some affordable housing in the area is kind of the
0: main focus of the HDDC right, right now. I always tell people, I feel like my I'm the last year, 1964 is the last year of baby boomers. Mm-hmm. I feel like we dropped the ball, meaning, my dad, uh mentioned on a previous episode with Sid Kennedy, my dad was one of the first people to help start the NAACP in Maysville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And I think about how our parents moved us to Kennedy Heights. We grew up in Avondale, moved to Kennedy Heights, you know. So we were doing pretty good. But then I think my generation, we dropped the ball. We didn't keep some of the stories alive and we didn't keep some of the messages alive. And I think it really hurt those generations behind us. What's your take on that? I feel the
1: same way. And I'm right after the baby boomers. I'm 66, so that's okay. uh, What am I generation G? G? Oh, I don't even know. Yeah, but we're the latchkey kids. Okay, the latchkey kids. (laughs) (laughs) We're the latchkey kids, and I feel the same way. We were just kind of more into ourselves. yeah You know, I grew up obviously with a mom who was community based, and and you know, licking envelopes, sending out information at the Kennedy Heights Community Center oh, yes. up there on Kennedy Avenue. And we did all of that. My mom was constantly involved. But you know, on the other hand, you know, I didn't really get into more community-based work until I didn't have my community anymore. And I was missing that. And then I didn't, I moved here. Like, well, too as a community. Are there some block parties? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Right. We had block parties. Oh, yes. We, you know, all of that we had growing up. Daniel Drake Park. Yeah. My dad was playing in the bands at the, at the park. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had all of that. And I was like, we don't have any of this. How do you make this happen? Well, and it,
0: it and it has to be intentional. Oh, definitely. It has to be intentional. I think about Artistic Apparel, bookstore in Swingdon, black-owned bookstore. Mm-hmm when everybody was old Juneteenth, we had Juneteenth, and Daniel Drake Park for years before it became anything. And so we always talk, when I talk to people, and I'm quite sure like you, when you talk about community, you think about Kennedy Heights. And shout out to Wendy Ellis, if you hadn't seen her documentary, America's Truth: Cincinnati, I would highly recommend watching that. I'll put a link in this episode. But when you think about Kennedy Heights from Kin Seal, the guys may have played sports. The sisters cheered. The dads coached. The moms were. I the was a look at that. Oh, were you? <laughs> <laughs> I was a look at that. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. So we but, did a little marching drill team. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. drill team. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you think about um the glamour girls, the girls softball team. That's right. And glamour girls was the salon softball. that sponsored them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the Ram that would always provide the drinks and stuff mm-hmm. after so. When you think of that sense of community, it baffles me. My wife always tell me, she said, you must be the mayor of the street because anywhere I move, I make sure I know all my neighbors because that's how we grew up, Right, knew everybody on the street. Everybody, everybody,
1: and and, and you couldn't get into tr- in trouble around the corner because somebody else's parents was disciplining you. Oh. I remember walking down the street. It was a beautiful day. It was like a, what they call an Indian summer, and... um which is a warm day in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> and I was outside without my coat on. And Mrs. Jackson at the bottom of the street okay, was getting off the bus, walking down the street, and she said, Keena, go in the house and put your coat on. And she stood there until I went in the house and she saw me come back
0: out right. with the coat on. Oh, yeah.
1: And then she proceeded to walk on.
0: <laughs> now, what would have happened if you told her, like these kids today? The who are you talking to? Oh my goodness, no! I, mean, I wouldn't even imagine. I couldn't you imagine doing anything. We like oh, do doing an interview oh, right yes. now.
1: No, no, no. I would have gotten in trouble from her, then my mother, then my dad, and everybody else. It would have been just an ongoing thing. No, we did not disrespect other people's parents, our own parents, let alone somebody else's.
0: I remember once uh, there was a family lived up the street from us. We, you know, we grew up on the corner of Red Bank and Standish, mm-hmm. and I was younger, and they wouldn't let me play cards with them. I was bad. <laughs> so when they would let me play, I kicked out two of her basement windows, stole her flowers. Before I got home, I got in trouble once, twice, and when my parents got home, I got it three and four. Yep, Four times. Now, and, and I hate to say that we kind of lost some things, that sense of community, but there was a generation where it was, don't talk to my kid, don't tell my kid nothing. Mm-hmm. And now you got a generation that has had a generation can't nobody tell them nothing. The police can't tell them nothing. The teachers can't tell them nothing. The uh, elders couldn't tell them nothing. And it's so sad because we were really raised to hold reverence and respect for our elders. And now Absolutely. they will run over you, a elder, and think nothing of it. And and it's just unheard of. And and the way we grew up, it
1: was so unheard of. And that, but that also made us feel safe, like I could walk from Lumford up to my mother's office, which was on Kennedy and Montgomery, by myself, at the age of what, eight or nine years old, Mm -hmm. with no fear, because I'm passing at least 10 (laughs) 10, 10 to 12 homes of people I know, if anything, if a dog chased me, I'll go to so-and-so's door, or you know, anything, Mm -hmm. and I felt safe all the way, because we did have that sense of community. You know, that's what allowed you to be a little bit more free, right. to walk down to Redwood. Oh, yeah. You know, to walk. I mean, we used to ride bikes all over the place when Sean and Patrice moved down on Edgeview. Edge right. Because they originally lived on uh, Lumford on the corner. corner. And then they moved down to Edgeview. I just ride my bike down to Edgeview. It was no big deal. None. And nowadays, kids can't do that.
0: They can't even play outside their own front door, and I think about like how when they first built the pool with Kennedy, yes. we stayed at Kennedy from the time the pool opened until dark. And you yes. walked home and there was no issues. There was no problem. And I think, and, and I keep going back to that sense of community. We have lost the sense of community because if anybody moved into the neighborhood, it wasn't like you see on TV, you take them a pie, but you knew who your neighbors were. Right. You helped right. them out. Uh, I mentioned maybe in a previous episode, I was talking to somebody I was talking to two young ladies there, millennials, and I talked about rent parties, and they're like, what's a rent party? I said, if you couldn't pay your rent, the community threw a cookout, get together. They brought you food, they brought money, and they helped you pay your rent. We well, don't even wanna give nobody a bottle of water or right. anything now. Right, it's- right. And it's, it is sad, it is sad. And then
1: when you mentioned the pool, I remember we had lessons in the morning, mm-hmm. And then we have free swim. Yep, we have competition swim competition. Mm, that's right. The football court, the base—I mean, the football playing field, the baseball diamond—all of that right there. right there, and all the people that came out of it: mm-hmm. Barry Larkin,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just like the, Mark Brooks. Brooks.
1: Yes, just and, and all of us just grew up in this wonderful place. Mm-hmm. And our parents—I remember. Um, at my dad's funeral and Moses Williams came. Okay. And he was just telling me all these old stories and my dad would tell me he was a coach on kids. So I said, Daddy, what you coach? And my dad was a <laughs> musician. Like, you coach, man. He was like, yeah, I coached them for a little. Cause they, all the fathers just got together yeah. and created these teams. And then we had our pool. We had, I mean, you think about just like the great exercise, the great and healthy competition, mm-hmm. you know, healthy competition, and everybody nurturing each other. We all, in our teachers, our doctors, our dentists, all lived in the same community. Like I was asking somebody, um, what was our dentist that lived down on? Oh, no. It wouldn't have been Dr. Newberg. Dr. Uh, Newberg, yeah, yes, Dr. Mm-hmm. Newberg. Everybody was a Dr. Newberg. Yeah. You know, it's Stevie Newberg. His, he, he was my age. His son. So it was like, we all, everybody was to my dad was the postman. You know, well, everybody worked for the postman. <laughs> really. worked there, Miss Davis worked there, Missy Williams worked there. So it was, you know, we just, it, it was good knowing who you were surrounded with. And it, it was so, and speaking of Juneteenth, I'm going back a little bit. Speaking of Juneteenth, mm-hmm. my dad is from Texas. Oh, is he? So my parents met at Tennessee State and then they moved to Dallas. And that's where my mom learned about the Juneteenth. Oh wow. When my mom came to Cincinnati. She started Juneteenth
0: at Daniel Drake Bar. Really? I never knew who did it. Because with us living on Red Bank, you know, that was a couple of right blocks down the street, right. So no, we would have the, the big
1: celebration with right. Daniel Drake and they brought in the band, my dad. Yeah. They would do the big band and, and do all the music and they'd have on the daishiki. Yes. <laughs> Yes, so my mom was like, oh, we're doing two feet. That's awesome. Daniel Drake Park. And then, then we would have the block parties at the bottom of the street. Oh, yeah. Because we were, you know, Schroeder was at the bottom of the street. Yes. And then we had the park, Kennedy Park, right next to me. Yes. I thought that was my park. <laughs> Everybody doesn't have a park at the end of their street. Right. <laughs> and know, that is a huge park. Huge park. So we had the swings. We had the cookouts. I mean, we did block parties every year.
0: I don't know if you know, but because where we're from, you have Kennedy Heights, Silverton, Pleasant Ridge, three communities that are pretty close. We used to have football games, uh, Kennedy Heights versus Silverton, Kennedy Heights versus Pleasant Ridge, just pick up football games outside of Kinsale and everything. And then uh, when we used to all go skating, yes. uh, everybody had their little community shirts yes. and it wasn't, it was fun rivalry. It wasn't like territorial. But it was right. all fun because we all grew up together. Right, right. And we so miss that in today's society. I do. We too. I,
1: I wonder, how do you get it back?
0: Well, I think it, it starts with conversations like this. mm mm-hmm. uh, The way you raise your son, the way we raise our kids to be community-minded. Mm-hmm. But when you said something, it took me back to a question I love asking people. And I probably already know your answer, but I'm gonna ask you anyway. <laughs> Did integration help us or hurt us?" Ooh, Wolf, goodness gracious. It's kind of
1: hard to say, especially coming from Kennedy Heights, because, you know, a lot of like the Cunninghams, Dickersons, my mom, the Jacksons, they integrated Kennedy Heights was a majority white neighborhood. Oh yeah. So they were the first black families to start moving in and it didn't harm us. Right. We grew up in a very, Kennedy Heights Elementary was integrated at that time. You very had our awesome. class pictures. I mean, they were, we were in integrated school. Right. So I had never lived in a segregated ne- neighborhood. Now, when I hear my dad speak of it, because right. that's a different generation where he grew up in completely segregated neighborhoods. And he said desegregation de-se- harmed a lot of Black businesses. And uh, because where they were, you know, Blacks only went to Black businesses because they had to, right, Um, those businesses kind of lost, you know, most of their um, income because of segregation, desegregation. Mm -hmm. But um, so I think generationally it may change, the impact
0: changes. and I, and I like that perspective because in my mindset, being a last year baby boomers, um, I didn't realize that I dealt with some segregation when we used to go visit my grandmother in Kentucky. I just thought we always went to the side window because that's where we went. We always sat in the balcony, but it wasn't until later I was talking to my sister Kim and she was like, we couldn't go on the front door. We couldn't go to the front of the ice cream place. You had to go to the side. And and sometimes I think it hurt us when I look at it globally because you now everybody's talking about Black Wall Street. We've known about Black Wall Street for years at other places. And it's like we had our own everything and we were growing, but then it was all taken away. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's almost like when you take something from somebody that makes them self-sufficient and dependent on you, now you control how high they can go. Right. And so in that aspect, I look at it like maybe it hurt us because we were doing just fine. Mm -hmm. And who knows where we would have been at this point. Right. But now here... However many years later, we're still kind of struggling as a people. Yeah. And I think the thing that bothers me the most is we don't respect one another. Right. Right, right. One thing I used to love about Malcolm X, he's two of his quotes I used to really love. One is we can't worry about their house until we clean up ours. That's right. The other one was, and it's a little off topic, but it, it speaks to the larger picture. The news will have the innocent looking guilty and the guilty looking innocent. And when you think about that, I don't watch the news. I'm just not a news watcher. And I have people, they watch the 6 o'clock in the morning, the 7 Mm o'clock, the 10 Mm o'clock. I think it's too much. I got other things to fill my mind with Mm -hmm. than this person robbed this, Mm -hmm. this person do that. And I mean, it's important to know the news, but I just can't fill my day up with it. Mm
1: -hmm. I was looking for one story this past week. Here, here in Atlanta, I was looking for one particular story on WSB and I was rolling down and I was in the shop when I was looking. I said, at first of all, I never found the story I was looking for. I said, this is depressing. It is. One tragic story after another. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, close my iPad. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. And it is. And it's, it's like, they have to put something feel good in there. Cause not everything going on in the world is tragic. Right. But we're getting tragedy constantly. I mean, just constantly. So it it affects the mind. It affects how we carry ourselves in the world. I oh, it affects me. I'm I'm like, well, it's getting dark outside. I'm going home.
0: I never used to be like Never. We'd be outside playing ten, eleven o'clock, running around the neighborhood.
1: Exactly we were allowed to stay outside. Now the one thing, when the lights came on, street lights came on, we had to be on Luffer. Yeah, you had to be outside the house. Right, we had to be out, but we didn't have to be inside your house. house. We just had to be on Luffer. And usually we were all sitting on Mrs. Cunningham's porch. Yeah, (laughs) But I mean, it was, but we could stay out there safely. And that's like, I don't even wanna be outside at night. And it's, it's, you know, that's taken away from our quality of life. Oh, it really has. And it's, it. we have to change it. We have to find that sense of community that we grew up in. And even like when I told you I was just in Cincinnati and being in that old community, I just got so comfortable. I, 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 it was like a sense of comfort right. being at Kennedy Heights. Yeah. I was like, now first of all, i in Mrs. Patterson's house right. that her daughter now lives in who is renovated and is beautiful. And I'm like, Wow. And I remember being at the Cunninghams, Mrs. Cunninghams, maybe about 10 years ago. And I was sitting there in her living room, and I looked across the street, and our home was for sale.
0: Did you think about it? I sure
1: did. <laughs> I sure did. And I went online, I looked it up. I went and looked on the side, looked it up online on my phone, got to see the inside, you know, right. the my phone. And I was like, wow, I would love to have that house. I could, oh my gosh, I could easily move back to that community. Easily, easily.
0: It's not the same. It's not. But it's, it, it could be. It really could be. It,
1: but it, I think the people made it what it was, and the people aren't there anymore. You know, as Mrs. Cunningham would say, she said, um, she, said she talks to everybody that used to live there. And she was like, yeah, I just feel everybody's spirits. Are still here, like we never left, but we're gone, and there's no, I don't even know if they have a community council
0: anymore. Um, I think they do. I think Rhonda McQuarrie may be a little oh, bit involved. Okay. I think I've seen her post some things. Okay. But even when you think about that, remember Teen Council? Mm-hmm. They had Teen Council yes. that we can do. And you think about it, that was grooming us for future leadership. Yes. In the absolutely. Absolutely. I, mean, I used to lose them. kids nowadays know what a teen council is. Do you remember the YES program?
1: The oh. summer youth program mm-hmm. that um, came out of the Kennedy Heights Community Council Yeah, and got jobs. Most people worked at Kings Island or, yeah. you know, had the summer jobs. It was a program to get us working, to get money in our pockets and, you know, and get a work ethic. Right. <laughs> you know, I think you had to be 15. 14, I think 14. 14 yeah, you would 14. 14. Yeah. And I mean, they—it was intentional—to yeah. teach us work ethic, to teach us, you know, how to save money and to be involved, like just being involved in politics. The, the, the community council was used to—we didn't have emails and all of that. We used to lick those steps. I'm like, I was probably seven years old doing that stuff. I'd have been child. We might have been breaking child like law. <laughs> So <laughs> somebody will use it back, <laughs> right? Like in envelopes and everything went out through the mail, and that's how they got information out on anything, whether it be infrastructure or, um, mostly, it was making sure that there were leaders right. that they were getting leaders involved in the in the city.
0: So it was just everybody was involved. Yeah. I tell you. One of my fondest memories of living in Kennedy Heights was Mr. Foster. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Foster owned his own store. Mm-hmm. Mr. Foster would educate you on black history. Mm-hmm. He would not let you disrespect yourself or no one else. Yep. And he was just, he was one of those men in the community that everybody respected. And like you said, we had, I think part of the lack of community is fathers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because you think about all the fathers, like we said, that coached, that uh, worked in the community, <clears throat> excuse me, that did all this in the community. Now you don't even have fathers interacting in their kids' life, whether they're at home, away, or whatever. And I think it's a certain validation that a young man gets and that a yes. female gets from seeing their father involved in the community, involved in their life, uh, treating their wife right. just being a pillar of the community and it's like, it's almost non-existent anymore. I'm quite sure there are some. Oh yeah, there are some. But when you grew up in Kennedy Heights and you see almost every man. Mm -hmm. Def. I mean, they were present. Um,
1: Even my father, you know, being a musician and having a whole studio in our basement. You know, the- uh, Calloway. Oh yeah, Reggie, Vincent, Mel. Would come to my dad. Can we use your equipment? <laughs> you know, right? Because right? Dad had it. And he was like, Yeah, if you're serious, you can. And then getting involved with Woodrock. Oh, yeah. You know, my brother Sam was in Woodrock. Right. And starting musicians and, you know, who came out of our neighborhood?
0: Boots, Bootsy Collins and the um, Cowways. And that star, some else were pretty out. Yeah. Well, it's just uh Keith Robinson, his younger brother Kevin. Right. Great right. Doing music. And they're all the
1: children of the Jaspers. Isley, Jasper, Isley. <laughs> Ronald Isley.
0: No, <laughs> Ronald Isley. Isley. The Isley brothers. We love the Isley brothers. And, and think about that. When you think about Cincinnati, and we talk about Kennedy Heights, but when you expand out in Cincinnati, arts, entertainment, sports, activism, because what, Nikki Giovanni? Lincoln Heights. Yeah. So all these people that came out of this area in Ohio. Yes.
1: Yeah, just arts, entertainment, just solid. Solid. I mean, it was just solid. Um, I remember my dad having um he was having a session. They were doing a recording session in the basement. And you know, I'm like probably seven or eight years old. And I think it was the drummer from the Spinners. Okay. Was there, and <laughs> I was like, why are all these people outside? Everybody knew this guy was in our basement recording. Oh, wow. <laughs> so everybody's like, they outside. I'm like, oh, why are all these people out here? Because they, they play music down here all the time. Right. You know, that was normal yeah. for us to have, you know, somebody there practicing or whatever for their next gig. They did a lot in our basement. So it was awesome, and to be able to go around the community and on Sundays or Saturdays, we were always in a park at some. You know, my dad was playing somewhere. Yeah, and that was our weekends, she our summers. It. I miss it. But you know, one of the things that I love here in Atlanta is the Jazz Festival at Piedmont Park. Okay, that takes me back. I, it's obviously on a much larger scale, but it takes me back to Daniel Drake Park. Okay. I can sit there and just like go through, go to another period of my life when I was a little girl. Okay. And my dad was on stage. I I don't know, something about that jazz festival here at Piedmont Park, it just gives me this warm,
0: fuzzy feel. feel. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we wrap up, we've heard you mention Salon a couple of times. We would be remiss if we didn't mention (coughs) J. Miles Salon. J. Miles Salon. We are in year eight. I oh, was wow.
1: completed 18 years in business and, uh, Edgewood area, Edgewood
0: area, Old Fourth Ward and, um, still standing. That's awesome. <laughs> so what is it about doing hair that, because you've been doing hair for 32 years, 32 years, 32 years.
1: It's, it. it's my artistic outlet. Right. It's my artistic outlet, and you make people feel good, and we we have a strong, my, my little salon has a very strong sense of community. Oh. Um, the people that come in there, uh, it's a lot of networking that goes on in there, um, and just a peaceful place, and a lot
0: of good music. You're taking on any new clients? Yes, I am, Always. Always. So make sure we put a link to J Miles Salon if you're looking to get your hair done <laughs> and get good conversation. Yes, get good good conversation, nice hairstyle, and
1: uh, www.jmilesalon.com. <laughs> you
0: got it. Well, Keena, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Brent. Always. Anything I can do to assist or help, please let me know. Then same you. All right, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Conversations with Brent. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thank you.